the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420, The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, let's start off with some quotes. And I, I talked to a gentleman this week who was in uh, kind of very fairly desperate situation. So I'm going to add this is towards you, man. Mankind at its most desperate is often at its best. A desperate man. I oh, know. I'm sorry. Hope is a desperate man's currency. And then finally, from my friend Napoleon, if we open a quarrel between past and present, we shall find that we have lost the future. All right. Uh, don't forget, that, you know, if you uh, want to get any material that you hear on this show, uh, a good way to get to it is if you just go to WHK's webpage and you go to local podcast, go down to the Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes, you go directly to my webpage there. By the way, uh, Rob Schleimer is now under the uh, are now our head strategist for technical uh, stuff, and he's on there on a weekly basis, and his is called Trend and Cycle. So you can stop there. Also, insights. There's a lot of good stuff on there. But if you want any material that we talk about, like I, I had a conversation with a gentleman last week who uh, is selling his, wants to sell his business. His son's not interested. So we're looking at uh, we have a business owner's guide to transition planning. And he, he's also talking to private equity, who I think has uh, undervalued his business. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Anyway, we also have the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook, Women and Wealth, a planning uh, workbook. I, I sent a lot of those to a they're, – they're an investors club. Uh, they're actually <laughs> doing everything by video uh, for the last year, and, uh, but they're very nice ladies. I said it to all of them. And Money Matters for Young Professionals because there's a lot of people out there that are uh, uh, young and up and coming, and, and I think they're being led astray, and I'm not, I'm not going to go there because the, – uh, you know, suddenly, uh, well, let's put it this way. I, I think they're being low straight. But also, you know, we talked about ADRs being uh, – we upgraded our ADRs last year. And that's American Depository Receipts. So we, we're upgrading some of the larger foreign stocks, although I still think small cap is going to be the way to go, and I've said that for a while. Our top ideas, small cap, large cap, et cetera, our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all there if you'd like it. So uh, please, please let us know. Um, uh, you know, I, I, it's it's good to even you know even if you don't use it, it's good to see what we're thinking anyway. Anyway, uh, you know, I, I was uh, listening to our good friend Lori Calcabina, and Lori is uh, you know she's starting to be a regular on CNBC. She's quite good. I think uh, she's going to do really well in the institutional polls too. So. So her strategy spotlight this week, she had higher level thoughts on energy and infrastructure. So 
so, you know, we had a, a virtual conference this week on global energy power and infrastructure. And by the way, you can get that, uh, those two, uh, there's two days of it. And it was really good stuff, by the way. Uh, she took a three prong approach to the sector, you know, and she, and by the way, she took this from our industry analysts and they're quite good. So first of all, <laughs> Environmental, social, and governance strategy inputs and, and top-down strategy inputs, uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, but, look, from a cash deployment place, energy analysts were similar, had similar views on the, uh, on the sector. With a more constructive view on performance, fundamentals, evaluation, margins, et cetera, oil stocks, energy stocks in general, are now starting to concentrate on cash flow. And if you don't understand that, you better. That's big. I think Tim Hayes thinks that's big. Cash flow is king. EBITDA, that's why everybody, you know, if you don't know what EBITDA is, you shouldn't be investing in anything for Tim Hayes' humble opinion. But remember, the ESG funds are very underweight in energy. And I think energy only has like a 5% ranking in the S&P 500 when it's normally somewhere between 10 and 15. So the institutions are underweighted. Everybody's scared to death of energy because I think Biden's going to shut down oil and gas. And I, I think if he does, he's going to have gasoline at $10, $12 a share. Let's see how long the Democrats last in the White House. The other, the other uh, thing I think is interesting is RBC's utilities research team uh, have become very optimistic on valuation and policy and cash deployment in their latest uh, analysis, which I thought was kind of interesting. And so you have you know, the ESG funds, which are now about 30% of the market. 20% of the market, man, well, 28%. Uh, very, you know, they're not in energy. They're not, they're, they have a little bit of, uh, of the uh, utilities, but they're, they're still underweighted in that part. And so the top-down strategy says that, you know, the, these sectors are underweighted. Now, the other places I think are kind of interesting, and Lori likes too, is small caps. Nobody's talking about them, but they're, they're not, you know, they didn't go down. They broke out big and they didn't go down. Very interesting. So the most popular stocks in actively managed st uh, small cap funds have underperformed so far this year. Isn't that interesting? So are they getting ready to get up and go? Now, look, I talked about how many mutual funds had bought, had filed 13 Gs on small cap biotechs. And I'm seeing a lot of green on my screen uh, in, in the balance of power uh, in that area. We'll, we'll see what happens. But a lot of them are in technology, and, and uh, they're not performing. Now, I think they're going to, but I, they're not performing yet. So what you have to start to do is look where the institutions are because they're going to drive the market eventually. Trust me on that. Now, the other thing, uh, you know, I'm seeing, and, and I'm going to talk about this in the second half of the show, is interest rates. They've kind of stalled out here. So our preferreds, still the preferred uh, area for people looking for interest rate sensitive scenarios. And the credit market interest rate risks are in focus this week as the Fed's surprise with its plans to sell its corporate bond holdings. But amid those risks, we see a seemingly unlikely place to sit, and that's the preferred share market. So it can provide income as well as defense in this environment. Now, there's a couple different ways. There's hybrid securities. High-yield corporate uh, preferreds are yielding 4%. Investment-grade, 2.1. And fixed-rate preferreds are about 2.4. So 
they might be a place to hide for all you fixed income players out there. Uh, you know, the, they had a pretty hard drawdown in, in uh, 2019, so it'll be interesting to see uh, if they hold up here, but I think they're going to. Now, uh, if you don't understand the entire preferred area, there's a couple different ones. There's preferred stock, which is basically you know, they're treated as an equity on the balance sheet, and then there's a, preferred, a hybrid preferred, which is treated as debt on, on the balance sheet. So you gotta you got to watch what you're looking at. Now, I keep forgetting that this is a live show, so if you've got a question, you can call in here. It's 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Now, the other area, and look, I hate to say this, but, you know, unless something happens right now, I think Biden's got enough votes to jack up our uh, capital gains tax quite regularly because what he's going to do is, you know, he thinks he has a mandate. He doesn't because it's just 50-50 in the Senate, and I think they only lead by, what, six votes, five votes uh, in, the, in the House. But he thinks it's a mandate that he got elected. I don't know. Uh, but so he, he all he needs is 50 votes because he has the vice president to vote for him. All right? So I think he's going to get a lot of these taxes that people don't think. So what I've been seeing is a lot more interest in tax-exempt investing, tax-exempt securities, the uh, municipal bonds. And um, look, it, it, the the move in Treasury bonds was muted. Is that the ten year yields declined, and and they're at a place that I think they're, that is important, which I'm going to talk about later. But the consumer price increase climbed to four point two percent in April. That's a pretty big move. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. But uh, um, municipal bonds, the interest is there. I've been I, I took like seven calls last week and. Uh, I, you know, from people, from y'all out there, and uh, I, I, you know, I have a great list of the municipal bonds if you'd like it. Once again, WHK fourteen twenty local podcast down to uh, Smart Investor Show. Tim Hayes, just hit the contact uh, me button. It's if you go to, it can go take you directly to my webpage. Okay, so it's there. So uh, that's something to consider. Now, look, I, I, it's kind of interesting that uh, the best performing asset class were broad commodities this year. And then mid-cap funds and large-cap funds and small-cap funds. Well, I should say it's commodities, mid-cap funds, then small-cap funds, then large-cap funds. So, uh, but commodities have led the way. And uh, now we saw some of them pull back, like lumber pulled back kind of hard, uh, a little harder than I expected to be out there. And then gold broke its downtrend line, but it's still got a lot of resistance up. I think it's going to get to like 2100 before it, what we consider a breakout. But it is, you know, touching the 1900 area. So, you know, it's not that far away. It's only 200 bucks. So uh, now negative yields has helped support gold, okay, which I think is important. So that, that's kind of interesting. And the other thing is investor risk appetite improved by the largest mar- uh, margin of the year in, in May. It was, uh, I think it was, you know, buoyed by optimism and positive vaccine progress. But, uh, you know, that's for another day, I guess. But uh, um, one of the things we did see is that investors added to tips, which are treasury inflation protected securities. That was the biggest move that I saw in money going in. Uh, in ETFs and some others, uh, we saw money coming out. So <clears throat> quite a bit, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> so that's kind of interesting, too. Uh, I did see a couple other things that I thought were interesting, but I'm going to take it from there. Look, uh, 
I think U.S. equities are really grappling with their first real challenge since the, the bull market began over a year ago, and that's inflation. And uh, the combination of shutting down and then restarting the world's largest economy amid waves of stimulus from Washington and the Fed has created some unusual distortions, okay? And they have, you know, like I said, in, in April, we had the, the consumer price index was up to 4.2%. That's a big, that's the largest jump year over year since 2008. So this is an aftershock from COVID. That's what it comes down to. So, it, you know, it's something that you have to deal with. Uh, and it, it could provide some market volatility. It could create some pullbacks along the way. I think it's going to be a good, you know, a couple of years. But we had, the, like I said, you know, it was a big jump in inflation. And people are starting to wonder, you know, and they, they jacked the 10-year yield from basically below one, below 8.8, I should say, 0.8% that is. All the way to 1.8, and now it's you know it's a, it's right at some important support. So, if inflation rises faster, uh, things could get very interesting. Uh, but you know, a lot of things plunge during the uh, the COVID thing. So there, some of them are just getting back. Like airfare was the biggest plunge. Uh, lodging away from homes did. Used cars have been up big though. I mean, used cars are up like over 20 percent, uh, and you know so. It, I think this inflation risk will hang over us for a while, and I think it's going to be a problem, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll see what happens there. Now, one of the things that I really think is interesting is technically and fundamentally something is coming together, and that's the U.S. electrical grid. Uh, you know, global population growth and increase in economic activity, uh, particularly in emerging markets, have led to a steady increase in demand for electricity over the past 40 years. Now we're talking about electric cars. Now, what's funny is that some of the electric charging stations are run by diesel. <laughs> so here you are doing all your best to keep the, the air clean, and you got diesel, you know, pumping out crap out of these to some of these charging stations, which is interesting. So, but I think there's an, you know, if we do have electric cars in the future, uh, the increase in consumption in electricity is going to be significant, and we're going to have to build. Now, since the world seems to hate oil, coal, and natural gas, and although natural gas is probably the cleanest of all of them, they may go to nuclear, who knows, but they're going to be building power plants. And that, and if you look at the, you know, power plants uh, uh, fueled by coal and, and natural gas, you know, they produce greenhouse gases. So, you know, that's what we're trying to avoid, right? Uh, although I think the real problem is, is China and Russia, but uh, look. When you flip a when you flip a light switch or you charge your your cell, uh, cell phone or smartphone, you probably give little thought to how it was delivered. But it includes generation electricity, transmission over long distances, and distributions to home and businesses. Something tells me that's going to be a big big business coming forth. And uh, we have uh, some interesting stuff on that. Uh, a good report on it. So if you want it, go to the WHK uh, webpage. Uh, go down to um, Local podcast down to Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes, and uh, just go directly to my webpage and go from there. Now, the question is, and this is probably the most asked topic I had going with all my clients, and a couple a couple new people came in to see me. Uh, actually, we've had coffee; <laughs> we're six feet apart. Uh, and it's what to buy with new money? You know, what do you buy? There's no real leadership right now in the market, and um, look. Interactions still have a large macro component, 
And I sense that investors have shifted from getting more worried about the big picture to, to how one should navigate the market. And with, with investors moving away from the elevated macro worries levels from weeks ago, they're trying to get a handle on how long the overall market cycle can stay favorable. And valuation concerns seem to be voiced more often than the, than the, more than the past month. I, I don't know why. Uh, and, but, you know, I, I talked to more people who are value-oriented than growth-oriented uh, lately. So, But the sectors that were most interested this past week that I, of all the reports I read, were industrials, materials, consumer discretionary tech, and energy. And real estate had some interest. And I noticed that real estate has moved out of last place into, you know, they're, they're almost breaking into the middle ground. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, uh, you know. But anyway, I had a couple questions from clients. He says, the one client said, is domestic GDP growth and the purchasing managers index set to sequentially decelerate? That's a big question. And the other are, what are your aggressive tactical indicators signaling now? We'll come back and talk about that in a second. This is Smart Investor Show. If you got a question, it's 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Haynes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I got a couple of emails that I'm going to talk about next part of the show. But I got a couple of emails today, like eight from people. And it was pretty uh, pretty funny. But anyway, technical levels uh, to watch, uh, you know, I think in the next couple of weeks are going to be important. And, uh you know, I got to say, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm, I, I look at lots of charts. I mean, thousands of charts every day. Okay. And it sure seems to me that the bond market seems pretty unconcerned with inflation, even after last week's report, which was pretty significant, I think. So, you know, what do I see? You know, I, I think with the 10 year yield now, okay, which is the opposite of the bond. Remember, as the yield goes down, the bond goes up. And as the bond goes down, the yield goes up. So they fell to a key level, and they got to 153 on Thursday, or Wednesday night, I'm sorry. And then the inflation thing came out, and the 10-year yield went down to 146. Now, I would suggest on a point-and-figure chart anyway, 145 is kind of important. I mean, I think that's the uptrend line. So, uh, so it, certainly, it can certainly – well, right now, it conveniently lines up with the 100-day moving average, which, uh, you know, that's pretty important because, you know, normally when you break that, you get some things going, you know, get some problems. Now, somebody asked me about, you know, Tim, why are you so cautious? Well, I just want you to know the bullish percent turned up again this week, which is making me crazy. So we, this is the seventh time since the beginning of the year. We've traded between a number between 80 at the top and 60 at the bottom. This time we, we went from 70 down to 65, and then we just reverse back up into a column of X's at 72. But I'm telling you, if you look at the S&P 500's chart dating back to the bottom in 2009, we're at the top end of the range. All right? So you know, it's not really a great place to be rushing and putting all your money to work. Um, 
there's two types of corrections, sideways corrections or time corrections as we call them, and there's price corrections. Uh, don't know which one this is going to be. I'm not that good. I don't think anybody else is either way, you know, by the way. But, uh, you know, we look, there's a lot of money on the sidelines. I mean, corporate cash levels are at $1.9 trillion. That's the highest I've seen it, all right? The highest I've ever seen it. So uh, so I think, you know, there could be quite a few acquisitions coming up, number one. Number two, the amount of money in, in money markets is some serious cash. It's the most I've ever seen it also. So what I think is happening is that as the market comes comes down, these people say, hey, I'm not invested. And they buy. And so that may keep it as a what we call a time correction. I don't know. But uh, there is a lot of cash out there that's looking for a home. And like I said just a minute ago, the 10-year treasury is at a 1.46 yield. That means with inflation and taxes, you have no return. <laughs> Let me repeat that. At a 1.4% for, for, for 6% yield, 1.46%. With taxes and inflation, you're not making any money. You're not making a dime, okay? So it'd be better. Uh, by the way, you can, you can find municipal bonds with that same yield, all right? So that it's pretty good scenario. So, look, uh, with this month's CPI report, uh, it, was, it wasn't tame. It was pretty aggressive, okay? So uh, I think you got to look at the S&P 500, and I think the key – resistance level for the S&P 500 is 4238. It looks like we tipped over that Friday afternoon. So uh, now on the downside, I think 4118 and 4060, we'll say, are pretty important places to to stay. Now, one of the things I did see was small cap equity indices are beginning to break out of their March to June trading ranges. That's positive. So the large caps are, you know, I mean, Apple's sitting on its hands, and, you know, Apple's not growing at 40% anymore, growing about 5 6%, all right? So it's a, still a good company, but I think it's going to uh, digest the P.E. ratio because the P.E. The P. ratio, if you don't know what that is, that's the price-earnings ratio. So we divide the price of the stock. Let's say it's $20. If it earns $2, your P.E. ratio is 10, all right? So Apple's price-earnings ratio is high compared to its earnings growth these days. It's not growing at 40% anymore. So it may be time for the small caps, which have literally done nothing since 2013, to get up and go. Now, the mid-caps are leading so far, but, you know, a lot of the mid-caps were small caps about six months ago. (laughs) So you got to remember that part. Uh, So if I look at the Russell 2000 micro-cap index, it looks like it broke out Friday. The, The the small cap index is uh, broke out on uh, Wednesday. So that's a, that's a big positive. And I think the other thing is the relative performance versus the S&P 500 turned up. So it was way, way above the uptrend line and then it just uh, kind of uh, gave it up a little bit. So a couple things to, to think about, you know, uh, while you're uh, out there thinking about, uh, the, you know, where should I put new money? Now, somebody asked me about Bitcoin and look, uh, I'm just saying, I, I don't know what this thing's valued. I am not a Bitcoin specialist. But if I looked at it technically, you know, we had a big move up in two, the beginning of 2001 that sold off into February. Then we had a big move up. And then it made several tops. And, and it, now it's made a lower top. 
And if we were to rally up a little bit, maybe let's say to 42,500 and, and die there, it'd be a problem. I would also say that the 50-day moving averages is crossing over the 200-day moving average on the down, downside. That could be like a head and shoulders top. No, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying it could be. All right. I, like I said before, I am not a uh, an expert on Bitcoin. I am not even close. I'm just giving you my technical opinion. Uh, that is not, by the way, RBC's technical opinion. But look, I I did see something for all you income players out there. Okay. So this is when you call and get the prime income list from Tim or you w, WHK1420 and get the prime income list because the utility sector, which has been lagging the broader market over the last weeks, had a really interesting week, okay? First and foremost, the long-term trend for utilities is up, okay? Has been for a while. Now, the ETF had a high in April, and then it came back to its 200-day moving average, which is what you want, by the way. And the 50-day is starting to turn up, too, so that's another good thing, all right? Uh, and, you know, so it's a bullish formation as I see it. What it is is kind of a, a triangle pattern with, with almost a flat bottom, but it's broken that downtrend line. And, you know, if you look at the PPO, which is a momentum indicator, it's called the percentage price oscillator, it has turned up. And, you know, that comes with that power generation thing that I just talked about, okay, in the last part of the show. So, look, we have two days of really good information from that from that uh, meeting. So if you want it, let us know. Uh, also, you know, I tell you, I keep looking at small cap growth stocks. And some of these have chart patterns that are uh, really good. Even the ETF. I mean, I, my favorite ETF is one by First Trust, which I'm not going to tell you about. But, uh, um, you know, you do your own homework, uh, obviously. But the other thing is a lot of the small cap green stocks, you know, that you would think would be very positive in, in the Biden administration, have pulled back. And uh, so, you know, those are some things that you got to pay attention to. Also, some some names, some big growth names from the past that have been going sideways for several years, uh, you know, that are now small cap stocks that were large cap stocks, look really, really interesting. So, uh, now, I, I did pick out some stocks today, this morning when I was working uh, on my charts. And, you know, one, I have a client whose son works for them, and uh, I'm, I'm looking at that, and it looks like it's really getting ready to get up and go. And it's a small cap growth. It's 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 on the verge of becoming mid cap growth, but I think it's a it's an excellent one. And also, uh, there's a another one that's in uh, the uh, vaccine business. Looks like it's really getting up and ready to go. And then finally, uh, uh, there is one that's not exactly sure what these guys do, but I think they're. Uh, they they service engineering and construction and maintenance type of thing. So three different businesses all looking like they're getting ready to go, okay? So there's a lot of that going on. Now, uh, look, I, I think the S&P 500 uptrend is still intact, but it's advanced. Small cap indices continue to bottom and in the intermediate term and look like they're turning up. So I think sentiment indicators are extreme levels, uh, but have started to back off a little bit. So you got to remember that too. And then, you know, rates and, and oil have contrasted. Rates look like they're going down. Oil looks like they're going up. Hey, we're going to be right back with uh, um, 
the bullish percent and all that good stuff. So stay tuned. The number here, by the way, if you've got a question, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Hey, it's funny because in the last uh, 48 hours, I've got probably eight emails uh, and a couple calls from people asking me about Amazon. And, uh, you know, because Jeff Bezos is stepping down on July 5th. And, and by the way, he's going to try to go up in uh, the atmosphere <laughs> uh, with his brother on one of his ships. And, um, you know, all these people are wondering, you know, with, well, deep. You know, look, he's stepping down, but he's still going to be chairman of the board. So his, his role in the company is he's still going to play a very large part. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, uh, Amazon has the single third largest single stock exposure in the S&P 500. Trails only Apple and Microsoft. And it, it, by the way, it's underperformed by about 26 percent so far this year. So but it's a three for five in Dorsey's system. And, you know, look, the best thing I can say about it has been going sideways for about a year and a half now. And, uh, well, maybe a year. So let's call it a year. Uh, so our analyst has left. Uh, Mark Behady left. He went to Evercore. Uh, he's a good one. Uh, we, we'll miss him. But we brought on a new guy uh, to cover some of a lot of what Mark does. And, and uh, so he's still in the show. He's picking these up. So I really can't tell you what Amazon would, would happen. But, uh, you know, will it be a negative reaction if the plane crashes? Of course it's going to be. But let's not hope for something like that. I mean, let's hope for all the best. Uh, you know, as look, I was I was talking to my nieces and nephews who are uh, are all young people and they're wonderful people, and and they all talk about you know hey I'd go to the moon, I'd go to outer space. Now I have no desire to do that, but you know that's for somebody else. So let's hope it works so that the future missions are just are safe too. Uh, something tells me that if. Mr. Bezos and his brother are both going up together. This is going to be the safest rocket ship ever. It's like one time I was on, on, a, on a Delta flight, and I saw their chief executive officer sitting across from me, or two, two things up from me in, uh, in first class, and I, I thought that plane wasn't going down. <laughs> so let's leave it at that. So anyway, let's talk about the bullish percent. And, you know, the bullish percent has been our, our risk guide. And uh, somebody said, well, when, when, is it, when has it told us what to do? Well, back in 2007, it went negative in May. Hmm. So if you would have stepped out in 2007 in May and come back in when it went positive at 4 on March 3rd, you would have made a lot of money. You would have saved a lot of money, first of all. Then you would have made a lot of money. So it also suggested, uh, you know, by the fact that in dynamic asset level investing, which is another part of Dorsey Wright, by the way, who provides us the, the keeper of the of the bullish percent. Uh, they said that cash would outperform the stock market. It, and, it, and they said it with three weeks to go in 2007. Now, if you would have stepped the cash, and I had people bring in money, I, I opened new accounts where I didn't invest anything. I didn't invest a, a penny. Or they felt uncomfortable when we went to 100% cash, and I had no problem with it, okay? So the point is, is this stuff works. And, 
what you got to know about the world right now is dynamic asset level investing says that domestic equities are the number one asset class, and commodities and international equities are fighting it out for number two. All right. So, uh, but we did go back into a column of X's this week. Man, this is getting you know I'm starting to need a neck brace to to uh, handle my clients' accounts. We've gone from 80 to 60 to 78 to 60, 76 to 60. 74 to 61 and we just you know we were just at 72 and we just went to 64 now we're at 60 72 again so uh it's interesting but i did see you know i looked at the point and figure chart on the s&p 500 and to me it looks like it broke a spread three times top or spread triple top which is a positive scenario okay the over-the-counter index are in a column of x's so they re- they reversed up that's the smaller names but they're in a much better place. They're at 56. I'd much rather buy small caps than large caps at this point. The world index is reversed up too. So all the indexes reversed up together. So something good's happening. Don't know what it is, but it's at 57. So I'd rather buy international stocks and small caps than I would large caps. Because you know, large caps are over 72. Remember, 72 is the red zone. Okay, so let's go. Let's review the game plan here. Chart goes from 0 to 100. When we get over 70, that's the red zone. That's when things are too hot to handle. So everybody's talking about their portfolio. I get invited to barbecues <laughs> and, and, and parties and that type of thing. And then when we get below 30, that's the green zone. That's when everybody's crying their beer. Everybody's lost my telephone number first, you know, all of a sudden, okay? And, and that's the best time to buy stocks. When there's fear, you should be greedy. When there's greed, you should have fear. <laughs> it's simple as that, all right? So, but it was a positive week. We all reversed up. You know, I just told you, I think the international stocks and the small cap stocks look better to me, you know, are cheaper. They're on a, on a better risk portfolio. Now, look, if we go into a column of O's coming up here, we've done it a couple times. We've done it, this is the seventh time we've reversed up. So we reversed down six times. It doesn't mean you have to sell everything. Remember, domestic equities are still the number one asset class. Back in 2007, they were the lowest form of life. Okay? That's when you get worried. All right. So, anyway. So, I was looking at the broad sectors, and the real estate sector has had the biggest – first of all, they're up 23 24%, but their fund score on the Dorsey Wright system has had one of the biggest moves up, along with the energy sector. Now, we talked about the energy sector back in january it is now the fourth best sector there is consumer cyclical financials basic materials energy and industrials technologies falling out of the top five but real estate which was dead last has turned up and is now fourth to, to the bottom but is like i said the fund score is improving pretty drastically and utilities like i said are starting to people are starting to pay attention to utilities you can tell by the charts they're in dead last so it'll be interesting to see if they turn around but I did know the bullish percent for the real estate did turn up into a column of X's. You know, it needs to get to 86 if I'm looking at uh, the uh, what they call the the real estate list, uh, which is a, a bunch of REITs. And if it would do that, uh, 86 would be a double top. It would be a spread double top, too, which would be very positive, I think. So uh, so real estate's interesting. The, the relative strength versus the S&P 500 for real estate turned into a column of X's, all right? So it looks like to me, uh, you know, we have a real estate guide, by the way. And remember, I talked about real estate investment trusts that have biotech companies as their customers. 
Biotech companies want to be in a general area with each other so they can swap ideas and things like that, okay? I've been talking about this for three weeks now. I think you should get that report. That's my humble opinion. Now, the other thing I saw was the IJR, which is the small cap index. Uh, it has seventh consecutive buy signal, and it just hit a new high. So that's very, very positive for small caps. And I, I, like I said, I like the small caps because their their score isn't above 70 like the large caps. So, uh, you know, small caps would be where I would be putting my money. I have actually my favorite, my favorite, you know, uh, ETF is with uh, First Trust Group, who I, I really like. Uh, and it's, they deal with cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. So there we go. Anyway, the EFA, which I've been spouting about for about three weeks now, you know, broke out to a new high this week, and the EEM broke out to a new high. But I tell you, there's one fund internationally that I just saw this morning that looks better than all of them. And I'm not, that's for me to know and my clients to find out Monday. And so the rest of you uh, <laughs> find out on your own. <laughs> you know, if you're doing business with the guy on the radio, that's one thing. Uh, uh, if you're not, eh, it'll work out a little harder. Now, we did have one extra favorite sector this week, uh, but savings and loans is at 92. So I think they might be, you know, you, you want to wait on that one. Banks are at 82. I'd be waiting on banks too. And I'm just talking about favorite sectors now. Uh, at, in the 60 level are is building materials, textiles, non-ferrous metals, and restaurant, uh, retail, I'm sorry. Remember, non-ferrous metals this summer were at eight. You know, and that's, uh, uh, I mean, some of these stocks have been up, are, are big. Freeport McMahon has gone from 13 when it was 47 earlier this week. Steel is at 50. Now, that's a place that I'd, I'd take a look. By the way, I still wait on all those other ones. I don't have any group below 30. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, one thing I will say, I was, I was looking at Jim Yates' work. You know, he wrote the option reports. Jim was a great guy. I had a couple of scotches with him uh, when I was in, in Chicago at uh, Nick's Fixed Market. And uh, he he had a zone system. Zone one was totally oversold. Zone six was totally overbought. And I noticed the energy stock for all those people that all my clients that kept, you know because they keep talking about energy. They're in five and six, so they're overbought. So what we're trying to do, just so you all know out there, is I'm trying to let them either pause or pull back a little bit before I buy them. Okay? Because uh, I, I have a great report by the way on oil and where we're thinking uh, it's going. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, a couple other things that I think are interesting is drug, drugs, which are totally unfavored, have moved up a, a notch or two. And then a bunch of stocks went into average from unfavored. That was Wall Street, healthcare, software, computers, protection services, oil services, and restaurants. And then we had a couple that were unfavored that jumped two or three things to favored, and they were non-fairs metals and retail. So that's always good. Internationally, like I said, I have one – one fund that looks really good, but the, as a group, international small caps look the best. That's, that, you know, well, um, that's my opinion. Okay, there's nobody else's opinion but mine. But I looked at, like, the small cap India indexes, small cap uh, China indexes, uh, just small cap uh, foreign markets, and, and they still look – all those charts look the best. I noticed in the Dorsey Wright system, by the way, they all had really good fund scores. Uh, so, you know, the – the direction is right. The momentum's behind them a little bit. So now 
On an overbought, oversold uh, scale, most of the small caps are like in the 40, 50% range. So be careful. You know, try to buy them on pullbacks. But even, uh, you know, like the United Kingdom and Sweden and, and Europe, they still look better. As far as uh, the 10-year treasury is now at one year, 1.62%. That is the up, I mean, the uh, uptrend line, folks, or the downtrend line, I guess you could call it. So uh, uptrend line for the yield, okay? So if it breaks through there, so we hit 145, okay, we're going the wrong direction. Something's wrong with the economy, okay? Nobody's believing the inflation story. That's what it comes down to. If, like I said, a move to 1.45 would be a sell signal, all right? That would break the uptrend line dating back to uh, the bottom, and I think that occurred in, in the summer of last year. So that's something you got to think about. I did notice that gold has been positive for 11 weeks, and it's not getting over that 21,000 range, so we've got to be watching that kind of carefully. Uh, that's something to pay attention to. And lumber broke a double bottom. Now, this could be a shake pattern, okay? Uh, so you, you got to watch that very, very carefully. And then uh, also copper has had that same pattern. So uh, some of these are starting to sell off a little bit. You've got to watch very closely. And then relative strength buys, we had American Financial Group, Apartment Investment Management, it's a REIT, uh, and Anderson's, uh, Technoflip, FMC, uh, Haynes International, Jack Pacific, Superior International, it's an automobiles, uh, Citro and Kindred Biosciences, and then Forte Biosciences. Uh, those are the relative strength buy signals. I'd keep them in mind. In the meantime, we'll be right back with Insiders. Stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. Well, it is going to be Saturday night pretty soon here. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if I want to get in a fight, but uh, anyway. So now we talk about insiders. Uh, and by the way, the phone lines are still open, 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. So we talk about insiders. And I had a couple that I thought were interesting. Now, I don't know how to buy this one. Uh, it was British Telecom. And there's a gentleman by the name of Dre Hess, and he, he runs a company called Altus, A-T-U-S is a symbol. And he bought 13 well, 12.142% uh, uh, of British Telecom. Fortunately, I don't know how to buy British Telecom, but that's something to think about. Keep it in the back of your mind in case you figure it out. And then Teva Pharmaceuticals. You know, we had some buyers down below 10 bucks, and this company got hit by the, uh, you know, they were doing everything right, and they got hit by the opiate things. And it turns out that, you know, what I've read anyway, uh, they were doing it right the pharmacies that were doing it wrong. So uh, we'll find out coming forward. But there were nine insider buyers at, of $12,668 uh, shares, and uh, none of them have sold it, okay? So this is option buying now, one at 6,000 shares, and then one at 22,565 shares. So that's a big chunk of change, and, and uh, you know, Kevin's been down for a while. And it, I, like I said, I think, you know, generic drugs are kind of the way to keep healthcare costs down, not to not to bring them up. So they're kind of the winners in the long run. Now, there's a group called Perceptive Advisors, uh, who I think is pretty smart money, who bought ARIA Sciences Acquisition Corp. So 
folks. I've had several people call me and say, Tim, you're not talking about SPACs at all. The reason is, is because when 360 SPACs come public this year, so it's pretty hard to figure out who's the best and who's not, number one. Number two, you don't know what they're buying until they buy it. So it's kind of hard to, you know, say, hey, buy that one, because I'm sure they're going to do it right, because you don't know. It's simple as that. And by the way, most of the SPACs have come back to 10 bucks. They all went, they went up and they came right back very hard. So precipitous advisors is pretty smart money, uh, and I just saw this, uh, I guess it was late yesterday, so I'll, I'll investigate. But And then we had uh, Aniva and Viva, I'm sorry, Partners, which is Lumb and Wooded Products, and uh, Exclusive Capital bought uh, $39 million worth, almost $40 million worth, which I thought was interesting. And we have a, a good report on this company, and it's called Asana. It's in the uh, software area. And the CEO, president and chair, has bought 10.2 million. Then he bought 9.9 million. Then he bought 9.8 million. Uh, then he bought 7.1 million, uh, which turns out to be a good chunk of change. And he did it all every day of that week of last week. Uh, and I have a great report on it. So if you like it, call in. Uh, and then we find our friends at uh, Penny Mac Financial Services are still at it. And it's Farad Nanja, Nanji, I'm sorry. He bought another $3.095 million worth. And MFN Partners joined him with the same amount, which is very interesting. So they've been buying for three weeks now. So I would suggest they're they're getting positive on the stock. And here's a guy who's I, – I looked him up, and, you know, I did some research on this guy. And I think he's kind of an interesting guy. His name is Peter Heck. He's the chief executive officer uh, for Styleron Therapeutics. And this, this stock got beat up and has turned around. He bought about $2.7 million worth. And then the chief executive officer of, of Allset E-Home International just got clobbered. Uh, I guess it was back in May, early May. Uh, so he stepped up the plate and bought $1.9 million worth. And then uh, Martha Mossett, uh, who's a director and a very smart lady, by the way, uh, of Lululemon. Uh, bought at one point, she bought 4,800 shares to the tune of $1.6 million worth. Oh, and I forgot, uh, I was talking about uh, Invinva, and I forgot that uh, uh, John Bumgardner bought also uh, $1.5 million. He is a director there, too. And then our friends at uh, B. Riley Financial, uh, you know, had, had were buying last a couple weeks ago, bought some more. Uh, about to the tune of 1.5 million. It's uh, Brian Riley. He's the chairman, and then the chief executive officer of Eight by Eight, which got crushed back in May. Uh, you know, it was a $36 stock. It's now a $26 stock after a rally, by the way. He stepped up and bought a million dollars worth of uh, stock. His name is David Stipes. He's the CEO, and then uh, uh, Big Lara Holdings, which is in the restaurant business, uh, Sadar. Uh, the, who's the CEO, bought $1.1 million, uh, which is, you know, you always like to see him buy more uh, of everything. And then we had uh, Global Partners GLP. Uh, we had their general partner buy $600,000 worth. Then they bought another five hundred seventy. Then they bought another five hundred thirty. dollars uh, So you always like to see that. Now, there's a couple that I think are interesting because uh, uh, Jonathan Drachman, uh, bought uh, $370,000 worth of Neolucan. Now, the reason that's interesting is the Baker Brothers own a ton of that stock. Uh, and so when the Baker Brothers buy and, and <laughs> you know, uh, these guys buy too, you got to pay attention. 
The other thing I did notice is, is and this occurred Friday afternoon, is Cileron, one of the directors, a guy named Kerry McGuire, who I don't know, uh, he bought $300,000 worth of stock too. So uh, quite a few people uh, starting to pay attention there. Uh, and the other thing is uh, FireEye, which got absolutely hammered when they said they were selling off one of their divisions. Uh, one of the, the uh, directors bought $200,000 worth of stock, which isn't much, but there hasn't been much insider buying there. So that's the first. And I think it's important because, uh, I, you know, maybe they know something that we don't know. Who knows? Anyway, so look, I, I've been talking about uh, uh, growth versus value here. And uh, I, I think growth is going to underperform for a while still, uh, probably through 2021. Doesn't mean it's going to. They're going to go down. They don't have to go down. They just, you know, look. Value outperformed growth by 3.7 percent in the first five six months of the year. Didn't mean all the growth stocks went down. All they got beat up a little bit. So I'm thinking you look at high beta. That's the cyclical stocks versus low volatility safety. The uptrend remains intact. It's it's uh, for the reopening stocks or the cyclicals. Okay, so. I see a lot of reopening ideas that look really, really timely to invest in. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of my company, uh, my my clients own them already, so I'm having a hard time for new money. <laughs> I got to start to buy these a little bit, but I'm up in them a lot, so it's, it's hard for me to do that. Um, and then I told you I have a couple, three, you know, stocks that are really looking interesting that got beat up a little bit that are starting to break out of the the, the cycle. So. Look, I just think we're testing the upper end of a 12-year uh, channel. And, uh, you know, look, when that happens, usually you can go sideways for a while and uh, then turn up, uh, or you could go down. And I just don't know which one it's going to be. I just think, you know, whenever something like that occurs, you just want to be a little bit more careful with where you purchase your companies, okay, if you're going to purchase them. Looking over your portfolio and saying, do I like this one still? Do I like this one? And, you know, are my fundamentals still matching my my, uh, uh, you know, technicals, okay? But look, the small cap stocks, especially the Russell 2000 stocks, there's a lot of small cap banks in there. There's a lot of good-looking co companies in there that look pretty good, all right? They all look good. The daily, I believe, broke above uh, the resistance, which is interesting. You know, bullish sentiment is pulling back from the highs. That's important. While the bears are low but starting to increase, uh, so I think that's important, too. I think the things that that bugs me a little bit is the economic surprise was very, very low. Then it went very, very high. Now it's back to about mid-range. Um, and the, so that's for the U.S. now. For for the international, it's still up there. So the question is, you know, what, where do we go from here? I don't know. Look, large cap growth versus large cap value is still way above the uptrend line, which is way down below. But small cap growth versus small cap value is less, okay? So, uh, you know, I still think value probably has more value than uh, than growth at this point. Uh, on a daily chart, you know, several of them, growth versus value, mid cap is broken down, small cap is broken down. So there we go. Uh, and I just think you just got to, you know, think about what you're buying when you buy it. Sometimes it's not good to buy the leaders from the last, you know, last era, okay? Uh, and as I said, several of the international equities, both the small cap and mid cap, uh, for, you know, the, the the large international companies 
they're all starting to break out. Now, the relative strength versus the U.S. has not started to turn up yet. So that's the, I think that's the key ingredient. That's when we get really important. And look, oil is breaking. It broke through 67 on a point and figure chart. That's pretty positive. Now, some people say it's going to 100, but I, 76 might would be my next target, I think, in my opinion. And then, like I said, gold, a lot of people call me about gold, and I think gold has to break 2,100 before it's a solid citizen again. I think it's going to creep up there slowly but surely. Uh, so what would I do now? Well, first of all, I've got several things out there that you can get, which I think would be worth your while. And they are, oh, by the way, we, we have a new report out called the history of taxes in the stock market. That'd be something I'd be, be very interesting in. And then oil strategy, uh, you know, we're in the early days of constructive cycle is what we say. And then our global energy conference is available to everybody out there. Uh, I, I just finished reading day two, some really interesting names in there. And by the way, it's, it's talking about energy power infrastructure. Okay. I think there's going to be big, big, important dogs in the market coming forward. Uh, then we have our dividend, dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our top ideas, especially small cap, and our ADR list, which we just went more positive on. Uh, you know, we have small cap, mid cap, and large cap, and I, I think that, that group is pretty interesting. In the meantime, it's a beautiful day. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next or talking with you next week. This is the Smart Investor Show. My name is Tim Hayes. Don't forget to buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.